Welcome all to the Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim Territories. My name is Matt, and joining me in the living waters beneath the minds of Mandalore is Pete. Hello there, Pete. What up, all my Mandos and Mandettes? The Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek dons our helmets for chapter 23, The Spies. Pete, making our way around the pod verse here. Tomorrow we'll be talking Picard episode 309, an episode that many non-podcast listeners found to be shocking in what happened. And I think many podcast listeners said, uh, yeah, between the uh, prognostications that Pete made and the uh, real-life industry news that Matt had contributed, 309, perhaps less of a surprise to the sagacious listeners. We'll go through it in all its glory tomorrow. Matt, over on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, earlier this week, we reviewed the Super Mario Brothers movie. Indeed, which just in the last day or so uh, has crossed or is expected to cross. Again, sometimes these numbers are a bit delayed. But any time now, Pete, it'll cross the $500 million mark uh, across the world. Super Mario Brothers movie will a just a delightful movie there and a lot of fun to have reflected uh, on it. Similarly, earlier in the week, we uh, had comprehensive coverage of uh, Star Wars Celebration 2023 and uh, all the just glorious information to come out of London. Which made it all the more strange, Matt, those announcements, The Mandalorian, and this strange uh the hollywood reporter anonymous quote from a rotten tomato non-critic reviewer that star wars is broken yeah it was it was bizarre i guess if nothing else pete here's i'm going to give the howard reporter and i'm going to give james hibbard some credit here i guess they're not concerned about upsetting uh fickle pr people over at Lucasfilm or Disney in general, and I guess they're they're brandishing editorial independence and so forth. So I guess that's a win. If you want to call it that, it only looks silly in light of this episode coming the next day. Um, but whatever, man, it's it's a look. Well, Pete, with that, it's time to hit the hunt. Neon illuminates the lower levels of Coruscant and music pulses in a misty rain as Elia Kane eyes an alley to make contact with an Imperial probe droid. She's scanned and inputs her TK code, which triggers a hologram of Moff Gideon, who tells her to make her report quickly. She shares the news. The pirates have run into trouble on Navarro against Mandalorians. But which, he wants to know, Bo-Katan and Din Djarin's. But those factions are sworn enemies, which is why Kane contacted him. From an underground base, he tells her to continue with her mission, and he will deal with with their Mandalorian friends. He walks down a hallway of force fields that drop with new troopers with 
very recognizable T-shaped visors. Uh, past vats similar to those seen in the base on Navarro with cloning experiments to a room with holograms in a meeting. Pete, I won't point out that this laser blocked pathway with its awesome laser blocks here that you could just jump from guard spot to guard spot where there are no lasers because you know what the design is awesome uh as you mentioned pete he's that guy that guy that joins the zoom late um (laughs) there's talk of plundering the hyperspace lanes pete that's from tv's johnny coin who once played the uh the warden on Alcatraz and took a little time to be interviewed for our Alcatraz podcast. Johnny Coyne, you're the man. Um, there's also discussion about making sure to keep up the appearance uh, of disorganized Imperial remnant warlords, not as an organized threat, which Pete, I would like to point out is a really smart line there. Pete, occasionally Star Wars fans freak out over things that they could just figure out for themselves uh, and need to have their hand held a little bit. And this one little line is a nice and tidy way to say to the audience, if you're confused on how it is that the First Order returns in about 25 years, but also is secretly working on it, but also is a threat for the end of Season 3 of The Mandalorian, it's because they're working to keep it hidden. Uh, I love that line. A female officer says there are citizens loyal to the Empire on every planet. Sick of the new Republic's rules and regulations. And another man says, if they give them a show of strength, they'll rally behind them. The captain, who will eventually come to identify as Captain Pelion, he of close association with Grand Admiral Thrawn, beginning all the way back in that first iconic heir to the Empire novel in the early 1990s says that strength must not be wasted as Thrawn's return will herald in the reemergence of their military providing Commandant Brendel Hux played here Matt by General Hux actor Domin Hall Gleason's younger brother Brian um, enough time to deliver on project necromancer it's all there pete all the pieces as things are put together here love that uh some shade is thrown by gideon toward the good captain here being the hype man for his boy thrawn thrawn who it is noted kind of never shows up um noted by gideon delicious pete because they're setting up the next Star Wars show where Thrawn's going to be in it. And also, you know, hope, <laughs> hope possibly that he shows up next week, whether he does or he doesn't. You know, they're, they're, they're baiting the trap for we, the, uh, the viewers here. Uh, it is said, don't worry, his uh, return is the key to it all. Uh, again, look, all listeners to this podcast surely know there's an Ahsoka series coming this summer. Um, but... Can you imagine, Pete, not knowing and getting to the end of next week, whatever that looks like with Thrawn or not? Can I assume there's going to be a post credit scene that's like an Ahsoka kickoff that we had it for Book of Boba Fett? Regardless, just the notion you're like, oh, maybe this Thrawn guy shows up next week. No, no, no. He shows up next series. It's just, it's 
delightful what's going on here. Absolutely delightful. Uh, Gideon asking, when, uh, hey, when's your guy Thrawn going to show up to participate in the Shadow Council here? Um, but shh, got to stay secret, says Pelion. But secrets are Gideon's stock and trade. He hears whispers from one end of the galaxy to another and never anything about Thrawn. Uh, Pelion has spoken of his imminent return, but Gideon now suggests it's time to look for new leadership, which the female officer supports. Hux says his project is in place for such new leadership, okay, and asks about Dr. Pershing and his research Gideon promised them. But Gideon explains Pershing was captured by the New Republic and the research lost for now. But Hux hears whispers, too, that Gideon held Pershing um, and was attempting his own experiments cloning on Navarro. Gideon says the clones are his thing, not his own. Um, and he is only a servant of the Empire, same as they all are. They've got their sectors. They they just take care of what's there. Yet they're scraping and clawing for research and resources while awaiting the Grand Admiral plan that will take shape while Hux and Pelion amass countless resources that should be shared. Yes, Hux and Pelion have already received Gideon's request for scoff three Praetorian guards, Matt. Outrageous. Uh, add to it TIE Interceptors, which, Pete, for those who have read the Thrawn trilogy, not to be confused with the Heir to the Empire trilogy, not to be confused with the Thrawn prequel trilogy, will know Thrawn is a really big fan of TIE Interceptors. Gideon also asks for some TIE bombers. He needs those tools to close the door on these resurgent Mandalorians. Uh, insert line from someone else there saying, oh man, if the Mandalorians did retake Mandalore, this would make... particularly concerned about a resurgent Mandalore hampering their efforts. Um, so bottom line being that Gideon needs these resources, needs the help uh, the help of this evil confederacy here, Pete. And Pete, I'm not being cute by that. This is literally confederacy, a decentralized local power to local government kind of thing here in which, uh, you know, they're pushing resources around maybe to protect each other and not for the, the greater good, etc. Greater good from their perspective. Bottom line, Pete, just in case you're like, that's the guy from the heir to the empire thing. They're talking about things and stuff that are sound interesting. Uh, th that's Xander Berkeley uh, from uh, the walking dead and other things and so forth. Let's just get it underlined here. The task is to get rid of everyone on Mandalore, get rid of the Mandalorians long live the empire. Boom. Title card. Chapter 23, The Spies. Pete, a statement there, a question for us later in the podcast. On Navarro, citizens are still cleaning up the damage from the pirate attack as a triangular shadow passes over them. Uh-oh. It's a ship with a marking on the bottom. 
High Magistrate Grief Karga notices the sky darkening in his office when his protocol droid comes to alert him of the Imperial ship, but from his balcony, they see Mandalorian crafts as well. He points out it's a light cruiser, and the red Mandalorian mythosaur markings indicate they are privateers. They are, after all, their welcome guests. At a camp on the outskirts, the armorer exits a tent to see the fleet approach. In her ship, with Grogu on her lap, Bo-Katan expresses her hope to Din Djarin. The two groups will get along. They've never met, and what little they know of each other they hate. He says they'll get along if they want to survive. As they land, the watch watches. Paz Vizsla tells Ragnar to take the children inside the tents. As the factions face each other, the privateers remove their helmets and there's some posturing when the clanking of the armorer's tools draws their attention and she welcomes the fellow Mandalorians, inviting them to make camp where they will prepare a feast for their guests. Indeed, Pete, the masked and the maskless facing off or masking off or masking on, whatever it is. They stand in front of each other, uh, bid by the armor to start to make feast and make peace here. Uh, Grief Karga is there to give a little bottle of something, something to Mando. It's the good stuff. Might want to save that for later. Uh, you know, Pete, unlike all the other times that Din Djarin has dined in front of other people um but it's a good line here um and indeed pete can i just assume can i just assume that what is this april coming this late summer to uh galaxy's edge at both parks is going to be perhaps not a hard liquor perhaps a a soda or an iced tea or something (laughs) like that called uh pete it just came to me now Coruscant Cola, okay, and it comes in that little bottle. What you can do People is people have already found the the bottle online. Um, that's the extent of Star Wars fans' research here. But that's not the only gift he has for him. Indeed, it is the IG body logic circuits gone uh, and so forth. The body, but not the mind. There's an Anzellan driving it. It's IG-11. No, no, it's IG-12 now. Uh, I have some minor nitpicky questions about like that as a numbering system because I'm assuming right after IG-11 was made at the factory, there was another one right behind him. But whatever, we'll call him IG-12 now. That's that's okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a battle tank, essentially. Uh, the Anzellan jumps out and Karga reiterates that this is essentially a vehicle for the Anzellan or perhaps Grogu here. Wonderful moment as the Anzellan uh, walks by yet avoids Grogu. Bad baby, no squeezy. Um, Pete, who says the Star Wars can't be for kids sometime? Beautiful. Uh, Karga puts Grogu in there uh, and uh, the controls are all working and it's just a a delightful moment here, even though our Mando is rather opposed uh, to the whole thing. Yes. And using the the simplicity of a button that says yes, or another button that says no. All right. We're, 
we're basically having Grogu talk now, right? In Taika Waititi's voice. So you had him say yes and no, and you recorded that. And now, to our delight, he can mash the yes button over and over and over again uh, or say no to indicate he doesn't want something. Uh, decides to take the mech out here for uh, a stroll both in the office where the uh, protocol droid has to steady the bust of grief carcass so it doesn't fall. Okay. And then through the square uh, where quickly Matt Dinjarin decides he's not down with this, even though Grogu refrains. Yes, 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 yes. Indeed, Pete, the yes, 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 yes had me saying, I'll have the oil bath that he's having. But I digress. <laughs> Grogu at the at the vendor, uh, taking something, not understanding the transactional nature of uh, you know capitalism and so forth. Mando pays for that. Grogu takes a fruit. Uh, run. What's that? It's a Melu run. It, uh, oh, there you go. Uh, that gets squeezy, squeezy, uh, hilarity ensuing and so forth. Uh, that night, back at the Mandalorian camp, the sides are eating. Uh, it's, you know, like the, the, the feast. Uh, Bo tells them that it is time to retake their homeworld. Uh, there are dangers there, mumble, dormant species mumble, difficult atmospheric conditions, uh, cannot communicate from space to the ground. John Favreau, I see you just, I mean, this has been established for us, but just mm -hmm. gently reminding the audience here. She proposes a small recon party uh, to find the status of the Great Forge to create a perimeter. Then more will be taken down later called Settlers. I see your influences there, John Favreau. Uh, she needs volunteers from both tribes. There's silence and she waits. Mando volunteers himself and Grogu. Casca Reeves jumps up and joins in. Axe Woves, Paz Vizla volunteer as well as uh, along with a bunch of people who get a featured extra credit good job yeah good job randalorian for you made your way on screen to say i will and you know what you will get your screen actors guild card in the mail in the next four to six weeks but we pete the armorer will join them as well nothing to prognosticate about there later on the next day, the fleet departs Navarro and jumps out of hyperspace over Mandalore. Bo brings the scouting party down in her ship, explaining to the armorer they will lose comms. As they exit the stormy atmosphere, the hatch hisses and they can see down to their battered homeworld, which is worse than Paz thought. Axe tells him he was there when it happened. They jetpack down, secure the landing zone for Bo, uh, who says they'll survey the surface until they find the forge and create a safety zone before they can bring down those aforementioned settlers. Pete, should I quibble that the last time Bo-Katan brought her ship here, she didn't need a secure landing zone? she just landed her ship uh, or or is this like you know what randalorian guy over there he volunteered we got to give him something to do like i landed and it's safe to land uh so, so should i quibble or is this just is this the way it is this is the way um i think there's the 
apprehension too. She's been there. She mentioned, yes, dormant species, <clears throat> mythosaur, um, but that's clearly not the thing that attacks them later on. There's the other humanoid monsters. There was the droid thing she fought. Like they do need to take care. They can't just, all right, we're going to put this down right in the middle of, you know, God knows what, but they walk a ways before seeing something on the horizon, a skidding skiff with a sail. And it uh, skids to a halt there before the landing party. Those on it ask the interlopers if they have food, which Bo says they do. They notice she and others wear the crest of the night owl. Uh, the armorer realizes these are Mandalorian survivors. And they recognize Lady Bo-Katan Kreese's voice. And three of them jetpack over, removing their helmets to reveal a haggard condition. Uh, they knew she would not forsake them. And though they claim they failed her, their blasters remain in her service. So they say. Uh, later, as they eat on the skiff on the landship, Mates. Uh, the bombing of Mandalore is recounted, uh, including they were bombed without surrender. This is when Bo-Katan says that part is not true. She did surrender only after it was clear that defeat was imminent. Uh, she gave submission to Moff Gideon in exchange for sparing Mandalorian life and cities. That is how uh, Gideon got the Darksaber. But then betrayal It is noted that... Uh, the suffering of the people, the division of the people uh, are linked. Indeed, it is their division that destroys them. It is from within, not without. Uh, later, uh, Mando says to Bo that he understands now that all Mandalorians are, are caring. He no longer, uh, or not, not that it's been a recent change for him, but he, he fully understands that she was not selfish in her choices. Uh, but won't they rebuild Bo wonders if she'll be able to keep them all unified. And uh, Mando notes that the Dark Saber means nothing to him and his people, nor are they concerned with station nor bloodline. It's all about loyalty and intention and honor, which is a very, very nice moment between the two of them. Which he says is why he serves her. Her song is not yet written, and he will serve her until it is. Uh-oh. The armorer helps tend to survivors. Uh, it's here we first see her new uh, jetpack, Matt. We're told uh, by the behind-the-scenes people, inspired by your the Rocketeer. When uh, Bo tells her they'll rest for the night and continue in the morning. The armorer tells her some survivors are too weak to continue and she will ferry them back to the fleet in the morning, which Bo agrees to, telling the captain and those well enough they can join them in the search for the Great Forge. Uh, the survivors can bring them there. And they set sail and watch the armorer bring the survivors up uh on the skiff 
paths and acts, play space chess. Pete, it turns out that they are playing by different rules. Pete, that's a metaphor, you <laughs> see. It's not just the rules of space chess and as to whether the bleepity blop can go this way or that way. It's how they approach the rules of life, the rules of being Mandalorian. Um, Paz is ready to have a knife fight over this issue. Uh, submit or fight. Um, I feel like I feel like I've, I've seen people like Paz Vizsla out there in the world, Pete. They have a little fight. Mando is told not to step in. Bo notes that this tussle was a long time a-coming. Uh, who shall mediate? It is Grogu in IG-12. No, 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 no. <laughs> Bo <laughs> notes that the apprentice uh, has been taught well by Din Djarin, but Mando says that that wasn't learned from him. Pete, that one little line leading towards... A really lengthy article on the website talking about how, therefore, this is proof that Grogu is a Jedi because he, if he didn't literally learn it from Mando, he must have learned it from Luke Skywalker. And well, on the one hand, it all could be true. Maybe instead, it's just uh, Mando saying, "Boy, they grow up so fast," and uh, he's making a decision on his own. Yeah, he likes peace because he's a cute little critter and now he has the ability to assert himself between these two warring factions. Maybe he's uh, maybe a scarring event in his life was seeing two yeah. people of a very similar creed or the same creed. I mean, depending on how you want to identify Anakin slash Darth Vader at that point in the Order 66 attack in the temple, but essentially seeing two two similar creeds fighting each other to major loss. Maybe like you said, Pete, he just loves peace. And this is not a setup for the Luke Skywalker next week. In a strangely edited sequence, Matt, the armor exits the storm because it took her, you know, the length of the riding on the surface and the game and the fight to get through the storm that we saw them get through before in a couple minutes um, and contacts fleet command, preparing them to receive survivors in need of medical attention. That is a weird scene, Pete. I guess if nothing else, now I'm very clear ahead of next week that the armorer and some people who have mysteriously survived on the surface are, entering the light cruiser under situation normal circumstances and you can just take that for granted i have thoughts on land there's movement off the starboard bow uh, it's a giant creature kind of more iguana in uh design here rather quickly i think in part because the 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 uh, captain character knows that it's time to get a move on to the caves and so forth it's very quickly like here comes the giant tail everyone abandoned ship no no need to like turn away from it or anything like that i'm being slightly sarcastic but the giant tail cracks the ship in half the ship is now done with okay moving on the mandalorians run for the caves and move further down uh out of you know away from the threat and into the relative or supposed safety uh of this underground city uh, to the point that takes them right to what is left of the Great Forge. But, but Pete, what is that? Jetpacks? More friends? Well, some discussion before they get interrupted here. This once the heart of their civilization, but the fires extinguished since those bombings. And Paz asks Casca if she lived there, and she tells them they all did. 
the captain telling them they never left, surviving by migrating along the surface until the war ended. Some trying to explore below, but none survived. When Din hears those jetpacks, which Axe thinks might be survivors, but Bo quickly identifies them as not being Mandalorian. These are Imperial jetpack troopers with Beskar armor and helmets reminiscent not just of Mandalorians, but the top of First Order stormtroopers. Pete, if I could pause and rewind to your one excellent point there, I think it's it's such a bonus for the narrative, the idea that the, um, you know, Paz Vizsla and the people from that covert who consider themselves to be the most authentically Mandalorian, they kind of get told directly, not as an insult, but as a statement of fact, yeah, you're so into being Mandalorian that you have never seen, you've never, in some cases, never been to the planet. We're not here to act in the futile attempts to protect it, did not see the after effects. You know, you never lived on Mandalore and then, you know, and left a la Casca Reeves. You never lived to the, through the attack and stayed a la the captain and these other survivors. Uh, again, I like the nuance here that it's, essentially, it's in my mind, it's kind of saying all your perspectives are valid here. You know, that, that it's a big tent for Mandalorians. Um, but as you say, Pete, what will later be told to us are Next Generation Dark Troopers, what I kind of wanted to call Beskar Imperials. I thought that was a cool name and it lasted. These are the, the Dark Trooper is the suit that Gideon wears. He doesn't, you know what, you're right. And he includes himself in that. Um, I think that scene later on, let me be this way, Pete. I, I stand by your analysis. I think the scene later on is a bit unclear. I have no doubt that next week he will be like, those Beskar Imperials are no dark troopers, but regardless, Pete. So, wait, if nothing else you're saying, I can continue to use the nickname Beskar Imperial? Yeah. Okay, the Beskar Imperials uh, are, are on their way here. Um, Axe Woves is told, first of all, he volunteers to make a run back up to the surface to mm. get... Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It did occur to me in real time, like, to what? To a ship that isn't there? I guess, okay, we're assuming that the armor is going to drop off and come right back. So, thoughts and theories. Many shots are fired. Uh, initially, it's a bit of a draw here, but the Mandalorians slowly gaining an edge over the Beskar Imperials. Um to a point, though, it's kind of weird. All of a sudden, the Imperials are falling back. Let's go after them. It's going from, like, craggy post-apocalyptic cave to, like... Oh, uh, these, th this architecture looks strangely familiar. Indeed. It's like it's like a tidy rock hallway. Then it almost looks like we're in an active Imperial base. Uh, almost as though, Pete, it's a trap. <laughs> um, this Listen, for everybody who was complaining that it completely took me out of it, which again, that's the new thing that you say when you want to show how hurt you are for people who were completely taken out of it in the, uh, the Coruscant episode when uh, the, the Mon Calamari person said, you know, it's not a trap or whatever the exact line was. I'm glad they didn't do it here to have someone say it's a trap. That's that's star Wars akin to having somebody fall and have the Wilhelm scream at this point. Um, but we have the door closed first of all, to the rear of everybody, and then a, a forward door 
closed. Uh, it's an ambush. Uh, it appears this was all planned. And indeed, uh, just by virtue of blocking and by the writerly pen, uh, Din Djarin, our The Mandalorian, is the only one out there still on the uh, on the the pier portion of it uh, as, as Beskar Imperials descend and as the main forces of the Mandalorians are, uh, are trapped between those two doors. He's using his flamethrower, but it's not enough against these Beskar Imperial troopers who tie him up with lassos before a black trooper in a pointy Mandalorian helmet with a cape jetpacks in and the recognizable voice of Moff Gideon tells the troopers to disarm Din Djarin. Gideon removes his helmet and thanks Bo-Katan for gathering the Mandalorians in one place. He says they were a talented people, but their time has passed and Mandalore will live on in him. Thanks to their planet's rich resources... He has created the next generation dark trooper suit forged from Beskar alloy, which is different, Matt, than steel. That is a distinction worth noting. Okay. And he's fixed it. It has him in it. He tells them that every society has something to offer. The cloners, the Jedi, Yes, even you Mandalorians. And by taking the best from each, he will create an army that will restore order to the galaxy. But first, he'll take the Mandalorian fleet off the board while they still have the element of surprise because they can't scan down there and know that's where they were attacked from before on their way back to Kalevala. He scrambles his TIE interceptors and bombers as he tells the Mandalorians, in a few moments, the purge of Mandalore will be complete. And he orders Din Djarin taken to the debriefing room. Bo, separated here by the blast door, says she should have killed Gideon when she got the chance. And he says they have to stop meeting like this. She'll make sure of it. And he wants the Darksaber returned to him. She uses it to cut an escape route out of the other blast door as the Mandalorians open fire on the door between them and Gideon. He orders his Beskar troopers to open the blast doors and kill the Mandalorians, putting his helmet back on and jetting off. Paz covers the rear so they can get out and Bo tells them they're clear, but he keeps shooting. She tells him they're not leaving him behind, but he closes the blast door and tells her to go because there are too many. Uh, Bo says um, he, he shouldn't do this, but he tells her this is the way. A noble sacrifice set up here, Pete. Uh, his gun overheats. Love the detail that we don't need to go for insert shot or dialogue to say, oh, my gun is overheating. <laughs> we just slowly see it glowing more and more until it, all of a sudden. It is visual medium. <laughs> that, that's true. And I mean, 
I'm, I'm not making a joke here. I mean, I've said that before. John Favreau, as a director, understands these things. A a lesser production, or maybe a writer who doesn't direct, would want to make it incredibly clear why the gun doesn't work anymore. Um, I would say superseding that is we see the gun doesn't work anymore, and you can infer because it's glowing. And even if you can't infer because it's glowing, it stops working. So uh, Paz Vizsla throws it. He starts smashing dark troopers. Uh, for a moment, he seems victorious, but then that aforementioned Praetorian Guard arrives, and Pete, unlike the iconic Praetorian Guard fight from The Last Jedi, they do not attack one at a time, uh, and indeed, by a three-on-one advantage being leveraged as three-on-one, unfortunately, he is taken down, stabbed. Pete, it's a Disney production, so by virtue of the buzzy glowy knife things that the praetorian guards have and other factors like the suit you don't see any blood because you know what that would do for a tv rating but he falls he falls down he is taken out there is sadness with which we end the episode let's chase down some theories Matt, other than informing Moff Gideon, which we suspected all along, what is Aliyah Kane's mission? I think to act in the interests of the Empire in this forward operating location, which is a rather low-level spot at the galactic capital of the New Republic and so forth. Um, I feel like Pete, I don't mean to be glib about this. I feel like even in the last week we've seen in the in, in the news, in the real world, we've seen misguided people sharing information when they shouldn't because they somehow think it's a good idea or you know, whatever that looks like. So weirdly, I buy this more than some sort of like you know, with all due respect and love to Marvel's Agents of Shield, I buy this more than, you know, oh, she was secretly Hydra all along, or that sort of thing. Um, it's it's part and parcel with what we have suspected about her, that yes, she's been through all of this, uh, this rehabilitation, but presumably all of it uh, willing, let's say, unlike the Dr. Pershing, you know, light show, brain tickle, torture thing. Um, <laughs> you know, just that, just that, well, you know, cause that's what he was told her. Yeah, you're going to feel really good about it. Then they all step out and she turns it up to 11 and all of that. Um, but just this notion that she has been a, a, a willing, a willing participant in her rehabilitation while, you know, kind of unwillingly, uh, sticking to her, you know, un- unwillingly joining the new Republic, that sort of thing. Um, it's just in line with it all. It's a really nice payoff across a number of episodes. So we can believe then that our ongoing function is to destabilize however it would suit the Empire, the the New Republic from within under the auspices of the amnesty program. Destabilize a little bit when possible. I think probably her primary mission is, you know, eyes and ears for Moff Gideon or for, you know, for the, the Moff Gideon communication network. And a, if along the way you can spies, she, she is, she is us spies. Uh, where else might we have some spies from? I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. as, as we were implying in the recap, 
um, a possibility that the armorer, you know, that the armorer is another one of the spies, particularly in my mind, and I think in your mind, Pete, hanging it all on just that weird scene of like, oh, don't forget, she's just doing normal stuff. I could foresee next week's episode opening with the 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 gentleman who's currently in charge of the light cruiser who you know this this is two episodes he's been in you know i'm assuming a third next week he's going to be like come on into docking bay 12 hey bridge person press the button for docking bay or whatever docking bay you know oh they've landed docking bay come in come in what's going on what could be going on down there cut to (laughs) that that'll be the heartbreaking reveal armorer and no longer sick folk that now have left a trail of blood and that sort of thing um, so that's my, that's my theory. The greatest argument against her not being the titular, the spies, um, is the surprise that Moff Gideon has that Bogotan and Din Djarin's forces have aligned. No, no, this can't be those, those factions are sworn enemies. That doesn't mean that after the fact he didn't make contact hey i understand this is going on um i need you to do this uh you're also kind of assuming that she's you know she's got the the she's got her laptop at the ready all the time you know it could be you know it could be she's only able to make communication once a month you know that kind of thing and, and not let him know. There's a belief, my brother alerted me to this, we were texting back and forth, he's seen people think that you can hear the armorer speaking to the Shadow Council before Gideon arrives. But I've not heard it, I've looked at that scene pretty close, I, I don't think that's there. Um, and they're all spooked about the concept of Mandalorians in general. Gideon's the only one, it seems, fanatical enough to mess with them and to want to stamp it out here because he knows how dangerous they can be. And the rest of them are all completely convinced of how dangerous. This Shadow Council, Matt, this is not a new concept. It began in the aftermath novels which was post force awakens um that and mining you know the the better elements of the original timothy zon heir to the empire trilogy you know captain pelion here the idea that he's waiting for thrawn so thrawn does not seem to have returned yet or isn't ready to reveal that he's back you know for those that may have not watched star wars rebels one do so it's wonderful (laughs) two um ahsoka is going to the the show the series is going to tread very heavily in ideas from that show i mean sure they'll make it palatable like hey this is grand admiral thrawn and Ezra Bridger, who whisked him away with his seventh fleet when they were laying siege to Ezra's home planet of Lothal uh, so that they could be saved. 
the the thing that's never explicitly been said had um the emperor had the empire the brilliant tactician the the moriarty as he's been described from sherlock um around when they fully fought luke skywalker and the rest of the rebels that they probably would have prevailed um but they didn't and it was ezra bridger taking him off the board and out and away to where we don't fully understand at this point um but what's set up through this shadow council and gideon speaking to them um this imperial power struggle that we all know how it goes ultimately this is reformed into the first order and the emperor is resurrected um hence this project necromancer which may or may not directly lead to that i saw something or other i think on instagram that tied together with clips what i think we all have been piecing together um it was neat to see it visually just this notion that perhaps the you know pete what is the iconically like wah wah line from rise of skywalker what's the thing where you go oh that's just a writer's excuse to make things go See, I've never felt that. Well, but what's the line? Fine, you don't feel it. You know what I'm talking about, though. What's the, the line? The meme has been somehow Palpatine returned. That story is not about how he returned. The story is he has returned. Agreed. It's just, it, again, this this uh, compilation of clips um, hammering home the story uh, journey that we've been on since then in right. terms of seeing the cloning efforts in three seasons of Mandalorian kind of appearing in the background, seeing reference to cloning and building the, the Jedi body library and all of that in Kenobi. But um, and the just, distinction within this scene that Gideon has done cloning that Brendel Hicks, uh, Hux has done cloning that they would seem to be two different aims. Um, so maybe the Grogu stuff is not connected to what ultimately resurrects the emperor um and that's maybe it's maybe it's which you know which boy can make daddy happy first like you know (laughs) which one gets there which again i think you know does uh, moff gideon think of uh emperor palpatine as daddy i think insofar as insofar as there's there's worship of the emperor and so forth uh I think there's an element there. Fascist is going to fascist. Am I right? Absolutely. Somebody needs, you know, the father, the Fuhrer, you know, somebody that's, that it seems to be this common, this common thread here. Um, and I just, I really marvel at the, um, the subtext, which across 23 episodes, it's less in the background, but just the, the subtext of this slow rise of the first order, this slow notion of, a return to fascism can bring uh, lowercase o order to things that the new republic is this messy experiment in in republic style democracy and all of that. Just the fact that it's on the one hand, if you want to say, well, that's baked into Star Wars. OK, fine. But it's just it's using it as an active ingredient in a really wonderful way. Setting up a rivalry and the shade thrown by Gideon 
on the the not seen Thrawn here. You know, Matt, I maintain that, and you know, hopefully, my statement I made to you off mic makes sense now that they completely meant for the Ahsoka trailer to be played at the celebration and to reveal who was playing Thrawn before he got name checked in this episode. Yes, that makes more sense. Um, and since we're in theories, look, it was it was chapter thirteen when you know the episode "The Jedi" when Ahsoka says, "Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn?" You said, "Oh man, we're off to the races here with that as a long term storyline." Here it is, episode twenty three. So ten episodes later, where Thrawn mentioned again, take me into the take me into Pete's writing room here. Do you you know? Let's see. In the making of this episode, in the making of Chapter 24, the Ahsoka series had long since been ordered. You're in pre-production, if not in some sort of active quasi-production. Like, you know, Mandalorian finishes on a Friday, and on Saturday we start prepping sets to film Ahsoka on Monday. It, It could be that close. Do you argue from a story point, Pete, do we get some Thrawn in the body of next week's episode... Or do we get it as a post-credit scene handoff to Ahsoka? Or do they say you want this epic character who, who, who newer fans have heard about for a while now, and older fans have known about since 1992? You need to wait just a little bit longer, have that hunger build a little bit more for Ahsoka season one. What's your pitch? I don't know that this show, given that they're going to go into production on season four in October is willing to end on a downer. Even the, the much more adult darker Andor still ended in a way that we understand as hopeful. The, the good guys got away. Uh, yeah, there was insurrection and, and people paid the price, but it, it's all for a brighter future. I don't see this show going into a cliffhanger with Din Djarin, you know, that Moff Gideon will freeze him in carbonite for his journey to the soon to be resurrected, eventual resurrection of the emperor or what have you. Um, They're going to rescue him. Grogu will be a part of it. Um, And, you know, it'll be the victory for now. And that post credit, scene we're assuming there will be one will be some kind of thrawn ahsoka connection uh maybe his his return you know uh boom space a a ship jumps back where are we we're back in the known regions you know that kind of thing setting that up um the real question is does gideon survive this next episode i maintain he does because he can only go at the hands of thrawn now right like he is going to eat his words made to this shadow council i would not not only would i not count moff gideon out i would say like as much as like you know Game of Thrones, you were happy to see many of those characters die. Like, you were ready for it. The bloodlust was high. And you said, awesome run for so-and-so, but, 
you know, selfishly now, I, you know, now I'm glad the character, maybe not selfishly, I'm glad the character is gone. Oh, I feel bad for the actor, but yeah, justice. I don't think this show gets better by killing off Moff Gideon next week, period. I, I, don't, think, think, I don't think he goes. I don't. I think it's a, a longer term game and the only one who can take him out eventually will be Thrawn. Um, I like that. I like that. Uh, looking ahead to next week, Pete, in preparation for episode 24, do you think a phone call was made? Hey, hey, Pedro, listen, it's the Mandalorian production. Uh, we heard you're off from Last of Us uh, Wednesday to Tuesday of next week. Um, we're sending, we're sending a, we're, we're going to send a plane to, to Calgary airport. You got a, a YYC to BUR direct flight going to take you to Burbank. Uh, and cause we need to do some helmet off stuff. We need you there nice and early. Cause we're going to paint on the blood trickle out of one side. We're going to do some, some bruising on the other cheek. Surely we get, you know, Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, helmet off, right. being roughed up in the you, interrogation you room. Yeah, you can't debrief him with the helmet on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to punch you in your helmet again. Oh, no, not that. I hate the echo. Yeah, like, you, you have to do that. Um, you know, these Praetorian guards, uh, the the forerunners of the one, the the group in The Last Jedi with these mandalorian style helmets um you know i i still think that's a means you know they, they didn't just leave paz Vizla and and you know go back to um hux and to pelion uh so they're around i i think that's you know going to uh continue to be a storyline um you know, there, there's a lot to potentially do. Will they close out of all of it? I don't necessarily think that's the case. Um, and, you know, I, I want to wait for a little bit towards the end of this segment to, to talk predictions. Um, that Gideon tells the Shadow Council that Dr. Pershing's research is lost for now. Um not so much suspicious as it is like yeah we lost him in the new republic i'm not going to give you all the details and we don't have everything right now um if nothing else pete if if that gives hope that we will see dr pershing again i don't think that's a major prediction i think that that's safely likely um but if that gives extra possibility to him showing up next week yeah, I really, really enjoyed that Coruscant episode. I think that um, Star Wars is wise to do kind of quasi-standalone episodes now and then. It was, it was a really fun kind of story experiment. Um, and it is left hanging up in the air. What is his fate? I mean, what is the exact nature of you get the reprogramming tickle rays turned up too much? You know, is he a drooling mess? Is... Did did uh, Kane walk out and then somebody else come back in and go, oh my goodness, how did it get turned up to a 11? Torture mode, you know, and all of that. Like, this is a character I think we care about, a character who we have felt sympathetic about since almost day one. Um, so I'd love more on that this season. If we don't get it this season, 
yeah, again, we don't need to operate of operate in well Mandalorian season four. We can operate in well maybe he shows up in Ahsoka this summer. There were the predictions by Bo-Katan. There are dormant species that have been awakened by the bombing. You know, at the time when she spoke it, oh, yeah, Mythosaur. But she's not going to be like, oh, and I saw one. Uh, you're completely delusional. I'm not following you anywhere. Um, but also the one that attacks them uh, on the surface gotta come back around with the mythosaur in this season finale um i think so because as much as i just said for dr pershing you know is that something that gets saved for the ahsoka season and i think that's plausible quite frankly i don't really want to spend a whole lot of time with mandalorian mythos politics religion that's not what i want out of the ahsoka series so either start to wrap up the Bo-Katan stuff uh, this season and this kind of arc of who will wield the Darksaber, who will lead the Mandalorian people. Let's start to wrap that up this season as opposed to, you know, ask me, you know, remain excited about it until Valentine's Day 2024, which I'll do, but let's wrap it up this season. If anything else, Pete, maybe it won't be a 38-minute finale. Maybe we're looking at a 56, a 58-minute, a 62-minute finale, something like that. Spies, Matt, um, in the context of the Bible, takes on a larger meaning. There were the um, the spies, the, the 12 spies, uh, in the Book of Numbers. They were um, members of the 12 tribes that went and scouted for Moses, the land of Canaan, um, where they eventually returned. Um, so there is that. And frequently John Favreau has fallen back on, uh, biblical, um, you know, Jewish scripture. Then there's the aspect, and I'm, I'm not saying there have to be more than one spy from an espionage um, perspective, you know, we've talked about a lot of Cain, but the idea that the armorer might be a spy, I mean, let's, let's evaluate what is in front of us. Her helmet bears horns like Moff Gideon's does. Now, horns are interesting and cool to look at, and, you know, they could just be on a helmet. Um, They're the two horny characters, Pete. That's just a statement <laughs> of fact. That's not a value judgment. Fact, that's, that's what the two of those characters have in common. We also have uh, Darth Maul connected with Mandalorian culture. And there were Mandalorians that aligned themselves with him and put horns on their helmets because of that. Um, she conveniently left with the wounded after the disclosure by Bo-Katan. Oh, hey, no, I did surrender. I gave up the Darksaber. I was betrayed. I thought I was saving you, and instead, uh, it only led to further problems for our people. I find it interesting, and uh, I'm certainly not, I'm not suggesting any sort of real-world value judgment here, uh, particularly when it comes to the intersection of faith and authority and all of that, but it it's interesting how this show, you know, the armorer clearly a culturally significant religiously significant uh person within her own culture and religion 
it's interesting how maybe for story purposes, maybe for larger commentary, I don't know. She's kind of the arbiter of things like, oh man, it looks like the all masks and the no masks looks like they're going to fight on Navarro. And she's the one to be like, ding, ding, ding. We're all friends. And everybody's like, oh, well, I don't know. She said we're all friends. Therefore, we got to be all friends, even though we're, we're maybe set to just, you know, gut each other. Um, could I see a situation? Could I see a one scene, a one paragraph explanation where she says, for as Bo-Katan did not wield the blade in combat, but gave it up, Therefore, I declare her to be unfit uh, to be the leader of Mandalore. Therefore, I completely give up and reject and so on and so forth. I, I think that could be in line with the character. Now, thus far, the armor seems to have been consistent in her faith, consistent in her sense of justice and so forth. But, um, you know, could I see that being an explanation? Sure. And let me add to it, Pete, something that I thought you were going to say before, um, which is... You know, when you had said, you know, an espionage thing does not necessarily require more than one spy, this episode's title says there has to be more than one spy. So to spend time looking for spies, plural, that's that's the heart of what we're doing right now. Right. But I, I think that biblical illusion applies there, too. So there's multiple reads. I don't think anyone else, the armorer, or now, you know, the next one in my uh, crosshairs, Axe Woves, who leaves way too early with no ship waiting for him on the surface. I mean, what is he going to take what's left of the, the you know, skiff and Lego together a, a ship to bring him up to the fleet? Like, that's not how the force works, man. Master builder style. <laughs> um, <laughs> click, 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 click. So <laughs> like, yeah, like. Not in a panicked, oh, my God, there's jet packing, um, you know, Imperials wearing Beskar who fly now, um, you know, attacking us. Bo-Katan would have been like, dude, what are you going to do? Take your jet pack up into that storm and then, you know, into space. How, how are you going to get there? So a couple of thoughts here, and Pete, I, I, I'm just going to suppose some military thinking here. I don't, I don't play real army. Um, first and foremost, I think clearly they need the backup. Clearly, this information needs to get out. So I don't, on the surface, I don't see it as a cowardly position to say I'm the person who now is going to run across the open field, or which is to say, fly through the open sky. Like I'm going to make a run for it. I don't think that that's a cowardly... I don't think he's taking a cowardly position on the outset. Add to it, you know, he needs to... The the people, the Mandalorians in space need to be given not just, like, red alert, emergency. They need a clear intelligence report of what's going on. And I feel like he's a trustworthy person. You know, he could... I'm going to suppose that he can get up there and despite the, the, uh, the heart pounding and all of that, that he's going to be able to say, you know, 30, uh, 30 troops all in white appeared to be Mandalorian in nature, but looked like stormtroopers. Like I, I'm assuming he'll be able to give an accurate readout of the information so that they can respond in a, in a way that is, you know, militarily appropriate as to your question of, well, how's he going to get there? I share that question. I think he can only assume that the 
the or a transport that brought them down is going to come back at some point, presumably ASAP, just to have that to have that helicopter waiting for when you need to escape um, or when you have good news, whatever it is. So I'm going to propose that unlike unlike other reveals that might happen next week, Axe Wove's good guy, I think also the story has used him in this episode, uh, of course, as one of the people who takes his mask off, the story has used that in terms of like, how are these people feeling as they enter the cave? Well, his helmet is off and he looks worried and slightly out of breath. Like I think just he, they've used him in a positive way to share emotion. Um, so I think he's going to to the LZ waiting for the ship to return so he can say, let's get up there now so I can deliver a full report and we can come back with 10 ships and plenty of weapons to deal with the situation these survivors essentially led them to the forge where they were ambushed. They could also, if not only be, be additional spies. Yes. And I think that that's increasingly, and uh, that's increasingly an area of concern kind of in retrospect, if you will. Um, now, again, if you want to say in that Favreauian style of sometimes stories move directly and sometimes stories move, you know, uh, indirectly, you want to say last week's trip with the Duchess and the captain was an indirect story loop. OK, that that's that's fine. Um, but you want to say uh, it's the penultimate episode of the season and. Favreau has said, I want to spend six minutes getting from the surface to the Imperial base and we're going to keep things moving. Um, I think there's that possibility. I'm somewhat, I'm, I'm, I find this a curious addition to this actor, Charles Parnell, who's playing the captain here. On the one hand, he's a guy with a deep resume familiar from many sort of, you know, from many things, including, uh, Admiral, uh, Solomon Warlock Bates from Top Gun Maverick and so forth. Um, I guess here's what I'm trying to say. Is he too big for just this episode? Maybe, but have we seen that before in The Mandalorian? We have, where sometimes they just get great actors um, for smaller roles. Um, Xander Berkeley in this episode being one where maybe he's back, maybe he isn't, maybe he's in Ahsoka, maybe he's, you know, there's a bunch of options there, so... Bottom line, I I do wonder how many of these survivors are in on it, or are all the survivors in on it, especially if we now know they've been surviving in and around an increasingly growing, you know, Moff Gideon presence there. The idea of loyalty, of character, um, so heavily referenced in this episode, I mean... Dinjarin says he's going to follow Bo-Katan until her song is written. Some people are upset. Oh, wait, you know, why all this emphasis on Bo-Katan and not enough on Dinjarin? Um, that, that she could go in this uh, season finale. Uh, and then her song is written. I mean, it's a way to go. Um, I don't see that. And I, I really hope against that. Um, so, Pete, you're saying that it's not a good idea for the showrunner or co-showrunner to hire their friend from another project to play a leadership role in a season of a space-based theory, uh, space-based series, 
only to have the plan to kill them off for dramatic effect towards the end of the season because I think that's a terrible idea and I agree with you that they shouldn't do it in general in such circumstances as well as specifically with Bo-Katan. We'll talk tomorrow during uh, the Picard podcast. But yes, Bo-Katan, ne- Bo-Katan must live next week. I don't think there's... I mean, what's the upside? Congrats, Pete. An iconic sci-fi actress who plays a beloved character who's also a powerful female leader good news they killed her off to make us feel sad like that's not an upside there at all well they've they've done it before with Battlestar Galactica um as well so you know there there's that and I would argue the show is better for having her she doesn't necessarily need to be on the show all the time we have these other spinoffs she's associated closely with Ahsoka before um you know you would hope to see them again together um you know they've they've never been together in live action um and you know star avengers movie matt six to seven years down the, the line we're told so let's let's hope to keep you know that possibility alive you know so din is has been taken to a debriefing room and we said before we suspect that you know, we'll see Pedro Pascal's face because you can't just debrief a guy with a helmet on. There's there's no emotional resonance in the interrogation or maybe even in the mind flaying. Uh, that would be a fun, I don't know, fun reuse of that technology that, uh, that was introduced earlier in the season. Um, it'll, it'll definitely... Look, for as much as I said, ooh, hopes of a of an hour-long finale, I feel like I've said that for prior seasons of The Mandalorian slash Book of Boba Fett, and usually Favreau and Filoni have charted out a season where they don't need an hour-long finale to wrap things up. I don't know if kind of that, that longer season finale, I don't know if that's somewhat a, a remnant of TV where if you're making... You're, you're always making commitments to a 42-minute episode, 42-minute episode, and the little the little bits get left off. So you say it all needs to culminate in a larger episode versus, among other things, let's keep costs you know predictable week to week. I, I don't know what that looks like. I will take a longer episode. I kind of worry now that I've said 58, 62 minutes, whatever it is. I'm going to click on, I'm going to see a 44 next week and go, oh, this is going to be like actually 38 minutes of content. And I'll start out disappointed before it gets awesome. Um, but I do feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces here that need to get attention. And as I said before, some of it you can push directly to Ahsoka. Some of it I think is not appropriate for what my conception is of that series. And I don't know. You said they go into production in October. I mean, are they really going to be back next winter probably no. not no so this, like this is a much later um 2024 i mean does does it set up for 2024 if not 25 we already know acolyte and um uh and or are 2024 it it beats and beats this to the screen again, right? Yeah, and Andor is what, August now? August. Uh, they're filming until August, yes. 
So, but we do we have a date? Do we have a? Um, we don't have a. We have a year, but not a month for Andor, right? We have a year. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I could see if you tell me a year after filming starts, that's when Mandalorian is ready to start to deliver episodes. I would believe it. So you want to tell me that it's fall twenty twenty four? Again, this is all. This is all argument towards if Favreau. You know, not even if fact Favreau has said. He could only figure out season three once he figured out season four. So if you want to say, hey, audience, you're resilient enough that, that I, John Favreau, and I, Dave Filoni, so I guess it's more of a we, we can mention Thrawn in episode 13, mention Thrawn in episode 23, and that needs to sustain to another show. Okay, you got the audience hooked long term. You got it. Cultural phenomenon, et cetera, et cetera. That said, do I really want to, you know, Bo-Katan, live or die, dun-dun-dun, find out in November 2024, I'm not going to be thrilled by saying, now i got to wait 18 months, um, despite the fact I'm excited for other Star Wars stuff. So I would argue, John, Dave, of the past, as you're writing this and as you're filming this, let's have a substantial wrap-up of this arc next week. The Praetorian weapons here pierce Paz Vizsla's Beskar and there was all sort of consternation that's not how those work um okay Beskar can stop a lightsaber those weapons had gone up against and granted it's down the road in terms of the chronology had gone up against lightsabers um the the story is what it needs to be three guys ganged up on a big guy they had super strong weapons they're you know martial arts guys they also put some stabby things into areas that weren't covered by beskar so i i think we've solved that problem right well also if if this was a setup if 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 gideon has been playing the long game and he knew because of his spy on the inside, the armorer or whomever, um, if not just from Kane, but if he, if he knew like they're a coming or we are setting up conditions by which we're going to lure the Mandalorians to this spot. Yeah. Get working on some anti Beskar blades, get, get working on that ASAP. And if you only have three working prototypes, guess what? That's all you need. Or at least that's what you'll take. And so on and so forth. Like, I feel like the sci-fi answer is they made a thing that maybe was expensive or difficult or that sort of thing. Um, but it, I know it worked, Pete, because I saw it there on screen. Is Paz Vizsla dead? It's not as if we don't have back the tanks that could revive the guy. And he would seem to be a single dad. Um. First of all, Pete, the tribe can raise Ragnar, all right? They are one tribe, one people. Um, I feel like the way Rick Famuyiwa and his director of photography and their editor and their writer and producer, John Favreau and Dave, Dave Filoni, writers and producers, the way that all was put together, I feel like cinematically he is dead. Now, if you want to tell me... They are very aware that this is an episodic show and they love leaving people feeling a certain way and then we're going to zing you next time. 
I would be more than happy to go, oh, he's barely alive. Quick, the back to spray. Will that hold him in time? And then it, he is okay. I'm more than fine with that. This is not, you know, Paz Vizsla is not, you know, Jesus the Christ, where I'm going to feel upset that you did a this or brought or would, any of that stuff. This is a wonderful supporting character. I felt the feels when I'm pretty sure he's dead. You want to bring him back? I'm going to cheer for that as well. I think currently, as of right now, he is dead. What are your season three finale predictions, Matt? Gideon gets away. I really, really think... I think that there's nothing wrong with doubling down on the season two post-credit to say we're linking to a thing. Surprise. It's not a surprise that Ahsoka is coming. I see a 58-minute episode when I click on it next week. I'm going to feel like that increases the chances of Ahsoka herself showing up or Thrawn showing up or some sort of you know direct in-story handoff, not a post-credit handoff. I think if I'm in that minuscule writing room, I'm arguing against we need to top, you know, Luke Skywalker and so on and so forth. I think you just give that a break. Um, if you're going to do some sort of legacy return or something like that, if you want to do something similar to give people goosebumps, you got Han Solo digitized out the wazoo because of Indiana Jones 5, Chewie perhaps. I would rather go that route than another Luke Skywalker type thing. Um, another kind of lightsaber centric type thing. We had the dark saber reveal season one, Luke Skywalker season two. I would not go for the break the internet moment. I would just, just let that go this time. However, I'm going to put, I'm going to, I'm going to say a 35% chance Han Solo and Chewbacca show up though, which I know is in direct, contrast with what i just said but nothing be nothing beats wait something is coming in wait was that an i mean the whole the whole way the last 18 minutes of the season two finale is constructed gorgeous beautiful don't chase that high that way again um i think we're gonna have bo live to see another day i think we're gonna have resolution on who the other spies are if they are indeed literal like here's proof that the armor is bad um Pete, if they kill off the armor, I'd like to make a season four pitch. Bring back Emily Swallow, who plays the armorer. Pete, I did not know until some of the footage out of Celebration uh, last weekend. Turns out Emily Swallow, actually quite photogenic when not completely covered in head to toe with uh, metal and fur and pleating and such. Um, but I think if the story demands a pound of flesh, let's kill off that evil, evil armorer right away. Um... Beyond that, oh, let's see, I mean, Din Djarin wins. Let me ask you this, Pete. Where is Grogu at this point in the story? Because I found myself recounting that, and I was like, wait, I don't, I'm not entirely sure. He left with the Mandalorians, you know, so you had Axe leave first. You've had the rest of them now presumably headed to the surface. There's no ride awaiting them, and story has repeatedly told us you can't get word off the surface. Um, but he wasn't in like the firefight in the no, double blaster. Okay. The, he, he saw Din taken. Um, would it have been nice if we saw 
shot of IG-12 crouching to get him through the uh, hole that they made in the in the uh, door. Yeah, you don't need to do that. Everybody got out, and he was one of them. Um, it also so could have been one of those things, like they had the plan to shoot it, and then it's like, oh man, this armature thing like this does not fit through the hole very well right. Could be um real- he makes it through because everyone makes it through because now the room is empty goodbye paz Vizla, you know and so yeah forth. i mean is is there a scene at the beginning of next week's episode where they are you know hurrying back up the cavern and there he is no 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 um you know you could do that like I said, for me, the biggest stumbling block is how do you get those characters from A to B? Um, I I think I've got a fix. Um, we have Carson Teva and his squad. Um, there was the Beskar alloy in that shuttle. Maybe he and, you know, those directors who are all characters on the show now decide to like we're gonna just take it on our own we're not gonna clear this with the new republic and uh you know go check out mandalore maybe zeb is in tow the ghost etc etc you know that could that could be your quasi handoff to ahsoka whether the uh, ahsoka the series whether ahsoka's with them or not that could be the I mean, first of all, there's the scene from a couple episodes ago, like, it was Beskar armor, question mark, question mark. If you're not going to resolve that for 18 months, then just take that. If you know that the day before you're well, going to upload the episode. was directly referenced with the, um, the stuff that um, Moff Gideon has. So, clearly, if not before his capture, after his capture, that stuff was being worked on and and used to spring him right 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 but like what i'm saying is if that was not yes i guess the mystery has been addressed now but the fact that the fact that uh you know space rangers are working on it Mm -hmm. i think that that lends itself to them showing up to help which then also could be your you know that maybe that's your not deleted scene maybe that's your post-credit scene is you know, they go back to, uh, you know, Ranger HQ on uh, Tropical Planet. And, you know, where are you headed to, Adelphi. Zeb? What's that? Adelphi. Indeed. They go back to Adelphi and, oh, boy, what a thing. Where, where are you headed to, Zeb? I'm headed to blah, 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 you know, and, and that sort of thing. And that, that leads directly into Ahsoka. Well, um, I mean, I, I think you have to meet back up with Carson Teva this season you've not closed out his arc the end of his arc for this season can't be the bad guy moff gideon got away and i did nothing about it like i think we've established he's enough of a rogue um (laughs) that he would lead some other x-wing pilots to go check this out in a off the books type of way and if only there were some also questionable rebels to go with him. Maybe they could keep it really secret, like in a ghost or a phantom. Um, I think that provides a, a way to get those characters 
back with the Mandalorian fleet and to figure out if anything dastardly has gone on there. Matt, we've not had any Hail Mary cameos teased here. Okay. But uh, let me go ahead and make my predictions for the finale. Pete, on the heels of your excellent sleuth work uh, for the now-concluded Picard episode 309, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. I know that that's not the Picard finale, but that was set up for the finale, that, you know, set up for the final two episodes and so forth. What line in the sand shall you draw now? We're going to see Boba Fett. I like it. We've been told that this third season of The Mandalorian um, you know, ties up both the Mandalorian storyline and the book of Boba Fett. We've already had Tamara Morrison voice some clones, albeit in a flashback this season. I think, you know, if it's not uh, Bo-Katan hurrying to Tatooine and burying the hatchet with Boba Fett, hey, listen, I, I need your help. I need your considerable skills it's some sort of message to get him to show up um you would hope you'd have to think that would include his uh gal friday in fennec shand in ming na wen um i think you've got to return to the to the mythosaur this season the, the question is you know who would ride that would it be bo katan would it be Din Djarin, uh, in in some sort of breakout. Does it break him out? Um, how do you do that? And then I still think, you know, the, the Mandalorians are outnumbered. If only they had a key to a city uh, run by droids. What you're describing makes a ton of sense. To me, it just reinforces the fact that you know, all of these things are more possible with a longer runtime. Uh, and again, if there's some sort of, you know, oh, it's the low 40s, and you go, well, that includes a previously on, and that includes the Star Wars logo, and that includes the animated credits, and that includes potentially a, you know, a a post credit scene. The likelihood of this stuff goes away. So again, give me that 58 minute or so we can check all of these boxes. <laughs> All right, extend that antenna. Pete, we start with our Twitter poll, which of course was also uh, duplicated uh, for all, open to all on our Patreon page. Uh, How would you rate uh, The Mandalorian Chapter 23? Don't worry, there are no spies from Afghanistan here, I think. Um, Going from least to greatest, one spy emoji, who are the real spies, got 4.2%. Two stars got to stick the landing. So, you know, it'll depend how next week's episode is. 10.4%. Three stars, great twists and turns, 18.8%. And four stars, stellar ingredients, 66.7%. Some replies here. Drive-by wrestling pod, at drive-by pod. I got to wonder, are those dark troopers created? Empire fanboys or Death Watch remnants? Also, does it matter? How slash will Mando get out of this? Will Bo ride the Mythosaur? Will we actually see Pedro's face this season? Oh, can it just be Wednesday already? 
Next, Pete BikeBRH, it's at BikeBRH, says, So am I the only one that thinks Katie O'Brien, who plays Kane, looks like Katie Hackoff's younger, more butch sister? I keep on wondering if they're going to do anything with that. Next, Pete, uh, Arya needs a spinoff at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. Says, great episode in a continually great season. I'm going to guess Mando will be okay. Fingers crossed. Star Wars sure does love its giant monsters. Great action and effects. And IG Grogu was great. Uh, Noel Gardner at Noel Camille says, spies being plural did not escape me. My money is on the armorer. Her volunteering to take the, uh, the hurt back was suspicious. I know earlier I wanted Grogu to talk. But with the buttons on IG-12, that was a bit much. He's such a toddler. Gideon was terrifying, and I can't wait for him and Thrawn. Pete, an interesting notion there. I know you had posited Gideon v. Thrawn. How about Gideon plus Thrawn? Not without some sort of chiding so that the Moff comes to understand Thrawn is the big bad. Like... That's where all this is going. I would be super surprised. I'm not saying there's not a way to do it. That somehow Gideon bests Thrawn. Um, There's just such a lore to this character. First created, you know, on the page and and now coming to live action um, that Rebels only added to the shine of um and and we can see i think the viewer is clear moff gideon is telling tales out of school and is ultimately you know maybe it's thrown like needing to rescue him like you, you done screwed up Particularly, you know, for people who don't know, uh, I know Pete, you would reference to reference Thrawn kind of as a Moriarty type. His the whole the whole concept behind the character is we're not going to go big and powerful like Vader, like the Emperor with lightning fingers. It's all kind of mental. So the ability for a Thrawn Gideon showdown and Gideon to say, well, here's you know whatever, and for Thrawn to say, actually, and to do kind of like the murder mystery reveal scene, and here's how you this, and here's how you that, tic-tac-toe, you know, now take him away or throw him out in the airlock, that could be fun as well. Uh, Pete, we hear from Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139. This episode is the way. How many spies did we see? Empire Reborn, Pelion, Hux, and Shadow Council, plans and plots. Praetorian Guards mean business. IG-12, Mecha Grogu, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Exciting fight, Mando versus Gideon. Sacrifice himself, adios, pause. And Pete, last tweet from Bob Keeley at R. Keeley, who I think, Pete, if he was here right now, he might give you like a little like mana sticker, like good good job in Sunday school on your paper there for, <laughs> for all the, the, the biblical work there. Bob Keeley says, I feel like I keep saying the same thing, but this has been a totally wonderful season. And, re- uh, and I recant from thinking the first episode was short. Pete, what feedback do you have on this poll, on this notion over there on our Patreon? So on Patreon here, we had 71% vote for the four-star, all the ingredients, cooking up a Star Wars stew, baby. We had 18% for loving the twists and turns, three stars. We had 6% for each of the last two. We'll see how they stick the landing and who are the real spies. 
Pete, what do you have over there on Facebook? So when we posted last week's episode, that same day, Alan Thomas, top fan on Facebook, Matt. Matt is not on Facebook, so I will explain that to him live on the podcast here. When someone interacts enough with your Facebook page, uh, they can be given a sticker, a little moniker there. They are top fan. They can manage that. They can have it displayed or they can choose to ignore it. I've gotten these on on some pages that i'll comment on or check out uh so alan thomas is enough of a fan that he displays his for fantastic geek uh but he's gonna take me to task here matt with something i said last week he writes in internet ne'er do well here i really enjoy your podcast most of the time especially your stylish recapping ways unparalleled in all of fandom that said I do sometimes grow weary of your parentheses, especially Pete's relentless positivity about Star Wars content, which includes snarky negativity about those of us who don't always share that positivity. If you found that train wet wreck episode of Mando, quote, delightful, uh, unquote, it makes me wonder if there's anything they could set in front of you that you wouldn't happily lap up and ask for seconds. When I complain about anything from this franchise online, I am inevitably met with jeers about how Star Wars fans are the worst. They complain about everything. Maybe some do. But personally, I not only loved all of Andor, including the supposedly slow first three episodes that I found riveting, but also the Mando episodes of Book of Boba Fett. And I liked earlier episodes of this season of Mando, including the much dissed episode about Dr. Pershing. Nor, BTW, am I on board with the gripes about the closing bit of business regarding the Darksaber. That actually tracked logically, and I found it a nifty workaround to get the Saber back to Bo-Katan without her having to fight Din. But the whole deal with the Dome City and the goofy guest stars woof and it has nothing to do with deviating from the main narrative this show has always featured a lot of side quests and i am totally cool with that it's just that this one was horribly written and poorly acted so my response i saw that very quickly after uh alan had posted that and i thanked him for replying i said i can respect his points um and i said like him I've seen Attack of the Clones, and that's my floor. I, I do think there is bad Star Wars. I'll also uh, be the first one to tell you I'm a lot more apologistic towards Star Wars, so I will completely concede to the bias, but there is Star Wars that I will point out is is not good. Um, I also went on to tell him I, I don't think he's who I'm talking about. There's a subset of fans who just parrot YouTubers. Um, his criticism would seem to be far more valid. Um, Alan responded, thanks. I did notice that none of the criticisms you batted away seem to match mine. And he said he does not watch YouTubers. Um, he goes on to say that uh, he should note that his youngest daughter really did enjoy that episode. 
um, chapter 22. Uh, as Admiral Fred noted in his feedback, the episodes seem geared toward kids. So maybe I just need to adjust my expectations. Kids deserve entertainment geared toward them. But the really kiddie shows she watches, DuckTales, That's So Raven, I don't routinely sit down and watch with her. Mando has in the past done, IMO, a better job of straddling the line where it's fun for the whole family. I hope they tack back to a sweet spot halfway between this level of juvenilia and something more adult like Andor. And I responded here. I said, Matt and I don't talk a lot about it on podcasts, but we're teachers. Um, many of my students in particular watch, uh, you know, what to think about things on YouTube or elsewhere. Star Wars theory said this, and they'll spit that back to me. And my response is always, uh, okay, but what did you think about it? And they can't really articulate other than repeating what's been said. And, you know, that for me is terrifying. Um, Alan responded here, uh, you know, by the way, you guys, uh, among many, many others say Christopher Lloyd will always be Doc Brown, um, at the risk of dating myself to me, he will always be Jim Agnitowski from taxi. So Pete, some takeaways from hearing, uh, hearing both ends of this conversation here. First of all, I give Alan a ton of credit and many, many thanks for engaging in the conversation here. I think that while on the one hand, we we like the Matt and Pete flavor that we bring to Fantastic Geek, um, it really is about the conversation with the audience. And, uh, you know, it's, it's only a better experience to hear Alan's voice uh, through his words there. Second, I think that... Uh, it's interesting to see Alan talk about a question that has come up, a question that I don't think has a, a particular focused answer. You know, what is Star Wars? What is the responsibility of this show, which is not not hewing towards the clearly more adult and or end of things? This show, which in many ways it, you know, has been the standard bearer for Star Wars, um certainly from, let's say, from the second season forward, uh, or if you want to say, you know, much into early 20, uh, 2020, yes, this show was, was, the first season was done with, but kind of the, the cultural reverberations and the rewatch and and the, the comforting space during COVID and all of that, um, what, is, what is the responsibility of this show to be, as I said, the standard bearer for Star Wars? It'll be interesting to look at the behind-the-scenes um, which let's not forget are always very intentionally crafted. So I don't think we're going to sit and have, you know, a lot of Favreau going, well, we wrestled with how kid and how adult, like, I don't think we're going to, you know, we're not going to see them uh, as anything other than our heroes who make the show. Uh, but it'll be interesting if we get some sort of hint, you know, if someone says we've done some darker episodes or we knew we were headed towards a darker finale, we wanted to give some lightness for all members of the audience you know, it was last week's episode kid oriented? Was it family oriented or was it, um, as I think is oftentimes the case, and I'm not trying to win the argument here against Alan. I think oftentimes the case, John and Dave get an idea 
and they go for it. And because it is the Mandalorian, because it is the standard bearer, like, you know, I'm sure other people all the way up the chain, they're reading the scripts and so forth. But like at the end of the day, if John Favreau wants to win an argument, he'll go, uh, go check out how, you know, what's the number one show on Disney plus, uh, for the people who pay the bill, which is say not bluey. Uh, it's the Mandalorian. Uh, what's the Disney plus show that every single season has been nominated for best drama. It's the Mandalorian. Get off my back. I want to do a this episode or that episode or this character or whatever it is. I think that's how he can he can win any any creative arguments there. So it'll just be interesting to see how this season lands, how the production behind the scenes stuff lands when it's all said and done. They also haven't done to this point episodes where things don't come back. It may not come back immediately, but let's take the prisoner, Matt, from season one. You know, Miggs Mayfeld, and you go back to him in season two. Like, you, you didn't need to do it right away. It it didn't need to happen in that first season, but you return to it. Um, if not return to in the finale, like I said, you know, need some droids, could use the droids as backup here against Beskar Imperial Troopers and, you know, having a more superior force, what have you. It's it's a way to go. I mean, again, to have, you know, Grogu in a droid, to have other droids rescue Din Djarin, further change on his behalf, that could happen as well. But, you know, just want to thank Alan again for, you know, making those points. Um, like I said, I, I don't think I'm, I'm picking on him. And again, you know, y- you don't have to lap up star wars uh the way i would seem to (laughs) lap it up to eat it up a little bit more um but also i think and it's not alan's criticism you know have you ever noticed matt recently bad writing is what i don't like like this is poorly written why why is it poorly written oh because i don't like it right right um and uh, to put to put a cap around this whole portion of the discussion, I'll say something that I've been saying all season: you can't judge the season until it's until it's over. Now that said, maybe Alan, maybe others, when you go back in the fall and you say, "Oh, I'm kind of missing the Mandalorian," let me let me go and do a season three rewatch. Um, maybe last week's episode is one where you say, "All right, I remember the particulars. They get their they get the army and they establish maybe droids can help." Uh, I'm just going to skip over it. If so, fine. Then I would almost say that then would be your argument. I found the episode. I can say with totality, total knowledge of the season, perhaps Alan or other people say, I find the episode unnecessary. It's unengaging to me personally. And also, I don't need to rewatch it because all it does is give me a plot thing, you know, or two plot or whatever it is. Um, So time will certainly tell. Pete Allen had referenced Grand Admiral Fred, who's been gone all these many days since last Star Wars Saturday, and I can now herald his return. Indeed, Pete, we're not saving his return for next week or for next season. His return is right now. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with a little feedback for The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 7. Great to see Moff Gideon back. Really a good villain. A bit uh, Dark Vader-like. 
Also having this black, even Beskar shining armor. Moff Gideon says, every society has something to offer. The cloners, the Jedi and even the Mandalorians. And by aggregating the best of each, I will create an army that will bring order to the galaxy. Warning, spoiler coming up for episode 9 of Picard. Well, isn't that a team in the last episode of Star Trek Picard as well? Sounds a little bit Borg-like. Great were the Anzellans rebuilding IG-11 to IG-12 with Grogu as pilot. Really fun scenes. As well as in Karga's office as on the market. Funny is when Din Djarin says on the market, this isn't working for me. Well, welcome Mr. Mandalorian to the world of fathers of when infants become toddlers. And of course the sail ship on Mandalore was very cool. Little nitpick, when Moff Gideon is walking to this secret committee, goes through all kinds of security doors and then he comes in a hall with only holograms. So why this big security? It's not that there are a lot of Imperial people gathering there and it has to be guarded very well. Okay, that will be all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, I love that Fred made a connection between Gideon and the Borg. I was I was I was on the fly looking to make that joke during the recap and I didn't have it written down and it kind of came and went. But I think Fred is absolutely right. Um, it's absolutely right that here we are in two episodes of a space-based show in the exact same week where there's some sort of emphasis on taking the uniqueness from various groups and adding them to the collective good for black-clad baddies. <laughs> what a world we live in. What a world. Both uh, penultimate episodes at that of, of third seasons. Um <laughs> To touch on what Fred said about the force fields and the uh, Beskar troopers there, I think that was a, a dual visual nod. Hey, he has these. Uh, they're under lock and key, and where he's going is also heavily guarded. They're guarding it. These force fields are guarding it. We really don't want people here. Yeah, that that's your John Favreau visual director thing. I, Fred wins wins the point I think on merits, but John Favreau wins out because you want to, as you said, Pete, identify these suits and say something really, really, really secret is going on behind these laser walls. Pete, not kept behind a series of interconnected laser walls is our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/FantasticGeek. Pete, how much does it take to get into the Secret Hollow Conference? Just a dollar a month there, uh, and not a shadow council, Matt. Anybody can can join in, but uh, helps keep our empire uh, on Sundays, our enterprise, uh, going. And our thanks to all who keep us listener-supported, all who are able to put a little number uh, on the value that they get from our weekly podcasts. Pete, let's keep the Star Wars conversation going, at least for one more Mandalorian week. 
then a little Star Wars time off, then Ahsoka. How can people be in touch with you on a social media network that still exists? You find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,854 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are FantasticGeek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P and the H, all one word, like it today. Also mention our listener line. You can leave a voice mail or a text message to 732-707-1815. As we start to wrap up here, Pete, looking forward to a conversation tomorrow about Picard episode 309 our normal Star Trek Sunday adventure. And then barring breaking news back here next Saturday for Star Wars Saturday for the season three finale of The Mandalorian. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final penultimate word. We have to stop being like this.